Welcome, and thanks for joining us on the Disciples Church Podcast. My name is Jonathan Mosier, and it's my privilege to be able to open up the Word of God with you. We're continuing on today in our series through the book of Psalms, a book which has proven to be very timely and appropriate for the season in which we find ourselves. What I love about the Psalms, among other things, is that they give us a vocabulary for our worship. We find psalmists in the depths of despair in their life, as well as in moments of elation. And in the midst of this, we find people who are interacting with God and recording for us their experiences. And sometimes what we find is expected and common to us. Sometimes what we find is unexpected and startling. But either way, the Psalms give us an insight into the human soul. And so today, as we come to a psalm that will be familiar to many of us, that's Psalm 8, we're finding that this is a psalm that really is written to be sung. The Psalms, after all, were the hymn book of Israel, and for centuries afterwards in the Christian tradition, the Psalter has been used as a cornerstone of Christian worship. And in this particular text, we find a very specific example of how the Psalms are poetic in their nature. Many of the Psalms use all different kinds of Hebrew poetic devices, and this Psalm is one where you can actually see the poetic style in the English translation. It's poetic in its content. We find descriptive and beautiful language, exalting language. We find that the psalmist is looking both backward and forward. He writes about creation and the beauty of what God has made, the vastness of God's creation. But then he also draws our minds to the one in whom all of creation finds its meaning. And all of this is encapsulated by two identical refrains in verses 1 and 9. So let's read it together. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The other night, after my family had finished dinner, we decided that we wanted to have s'mores for dessert. So I went outside and I started the fire, and my family came out shortly thereafter to join me. And even though the evening was overcast and cloudy, one of my sons spotted something shining in the sky, and he correctly identified it as the planet Venus. And so this started a whole discussion among my family about Venus itself, about the stars and other planets. And very quickly, I found out that I had exhausted my reservoir of astronomical knowledge. So, of course, I resorted to Google to find out more information. So what we discovered is that Venus ranges from as close as 25 million miles away to as far as 160 million miles away. And so I began to talk to my boys about everything that I knew about the planet Venus, how it was a very similar size to planet Earth, about how it's the closest planet to ours. We talked about the fact that Venus reflects the light from the sun and how incredible it is that we can see something that is so far away. And then my oldest son asked how Venus could reflect the sun when it's dark outside. 
Now, that's an excellent question, but if you haven't been in the position of having to explain to your child how sunsets work, you realize very quickly that you may or may not have the vocabulary to explain it well. So I'm now trying to explain to my five-year-old and my three-year-old how sunsets work and how when it's dark here, it's light on the other side of the planet and how the sun doesn't really just disappear, but the earth is rotating. And so after a long explanation and conversation around these things, we went inside and went to go put the boys to bed. And because I had been looking at this passage, the depth of verses three and four jumped out at me. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And so after we prayed together, I was so struck by the fact that the God who spoke the world into being and set the sun ablaze in the sky and placed Venus on its orbit, cared about my little family as we sat there roasting marshmallows. Now, the truth is, when we went out to make s'mores that evening, I had no plan to make that connection, and I had no intention of talking about it with my boys, but it was something that, in God's grace, he permitted me to see. And that story really illustrates the way that the Psalms work. One of my favorite Anglican ministers, a man named Dick Lucas, said it this way. He said, the Psalms give us divine revelation and a pattern of human response. Divine revelation is the idea that whenever we approach Scripture, whenever we read what the Bible has to say, particularly in the Psalms, we are learning something from God about God. That God in his goodness has seen fit to record for us what he wants us to know about him. And not only does he communicate those things explicitly to us through the specific wording that he uses, but we also learn things implicitly about his character when we see descriptions of beauty and magnitude. But that divine revelation doesn't end on itself. It doesn't just complete itself when we understand the information. But the Psalms are beautiful because they also show us the response of the human soul. And we've seen this throughout our study of the Psalms already. We see the response of the human soul in lament, in contemplation, in repentance, in worship. And as Dave talked about last week, we see it in the way that the human soul blesses God. See, the divine revelation in this particular passage is the magnitude and the greatness of God. And what the psalmist wants us to see is that when you understand how valuable something is, your desire for it grows. And by extension, when you finally discover something of ultimate value, you have found something worthy of your ultimate desire. And this is exactly the experience that we find David having in this passage. Beginning in verse 1, he says, You have set your glory above the heavens. Then verse 3, I look at your heavens. The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. See, David here is describing the knowable world. He's describing something that we can all see, but something that we rarely think about. I mean, think about this even in the context of your day-to-day life. We wake up each morning to the sun shining through our windows. We drive to work and the world is illuminated. And it never really occurs to us that the entire creation is illuminated by a burning object that is 93 million miles away. And despite its distance, we see the light emanating from it. We feel the heat that it brings. I mean, think of it this way for sake of comparison. If the Milky Way galaxy was shrunk down to be the size of North America, then our solar system 
would be the size of a coffee cup sitting in the middle of North America, and the earth would be a barely visible speck in that coffee cup. And as if that's not enough, we know that the Milky Way galaxy is one of about two trillion galaxies in the observable universe. And David says here, all of this is just the work of your fingers. All of this was easy for God. It's as if he made it with his fingers. And obviously, David is speaking here poetically. We know that God spoke the world into motion, but he's saying God didn't even have to break a sweat to bring into existence all of creation. And it also shows us God's magnitude and size that all of creation, as it were, could sit in the fingertips of God. And this leads David to say, how majestic is your name. Your glory is above the heavens. And David is saying, you're the one who decided where everything should be. See, the stars and the sun are not intelligent or self-existent, but by their very nature, they declare the power and the existence of their creator. And as glorious and majestic as creation is, your glory is above all of it. See, David starts by discussing God because there is no other reasonable place to start. If it's true that God made all things and that all things find their meaning in him, then there is nothing that has more far-reaching implication for your life than God himself. And that's why we see David address God the way that he does in verse 1. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. See, the specific language that David uses here is important. If you have an English Bible in front of you, you can look down and notice that the first use of the word Lord is written in all capital letters. That's because it's the word that's translated from the Hebrew word Yahweh or Jehovah. Yahweh is used 5,321 different times throughout the Bible, and each and every time it is used, it's to reference the God who is and the God who will be. But the second use of the word Lord that David uses here is the word Adonai. It's the idea that it's the God who is our governor, our ruler. This is the God to whom we are responsible. This is the God that is responsible for us. This is the God who is involved in the lives of his people. And by using both of these words, David is recognizing that God is not just a disinterested cosmic force, but he is a relational being. And look how that leads David to interact with God in verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? See, David is saying, compared to the vastness of creation, I recognize my own insignificance. And the recognition of one's own insignificance in relation to all of human existence or all of creation is something that many people have experienced. In fact, most people have some recognition of this through the course of their lives, but it's how one reacts to that understanding that makes all the difference. See, some people do not recognize a God. They do not recognize a creator. And therefore, their own seeming insignificance as compared to everything else leads them to pursue a life of pure pleasure living for just the here and now, because if there is no life after this, if there is no creator God to whom we are responsible, then let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. For others, it leads them to a sort of nihilism, that life itself is meaningless and has no purpose. But notice what David understands when he recognizes his own insignificance. 
He recognizes that since God made everything, the beauty of the scenery, the magnificence of the earth, the glow of the moon, the power of the sun, the expansiveness of the galaxy, that in light of all of that, it is an incredible truth that this very same God would also care about him. See, that ought to force us to stop and wonder. The very same God who created the cosmos is concerned with people as infinitesimally small as you and I. And that is the source of our value, that God himself created us and recognizes us. Now continue on as David writes for us. He says, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and you crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. See, this is the love that God has for you and I. That not only did he create us, and not only does he recognize us, but he puts us in a place of honor. See, words like glory and honor and dominion are words that historically and rightfully have been reserved for God himself. But here, David says, I've received a position of glory and honor and dominion. That when God stamped his image on humanity, he was declaring that we are infinitely valuable in his sight. But the biggest hint at the love that God has for us is in verse 4. And keep in mind as we read this, that son of man in this context is not a reference to Christ explicitly, but to humanity at large. And here's what he says in verse four. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And that word care literally translates to visited. See, David says, what are we that in this vastness you think about us and visit us? And that simple word reminds us that the God of the universe personally cares for each and every one of us. But not only does he care for us, the word translated visited us really points forward to Christ. That Jesus, who had all of this power and all of this glory and all of this grandeur, gave up his position to become man and dwell among us. That Jesus gave his life and his death and his resurrection as the ultimate demonstration of the fact that God was mindful of us and cared for us. Do you remember the night before Jesus was killed? The story is recorded for us in the book of John. It's come to be known as the high priestly prayer. And in that prayer, as Jesus is speaking to his father, he says, I set myself apart on their behalf so that they too may be truly set apart. See, why was it that Jesus came? He came for us. It was you and me that filled the mind of the creator of the universe so much that he was willing to become weak and die to bring us into relationship with himself. See, the gospel proves to us that in a world of inestimable vastness, you are not worthless, but are of immense value to God. My prayer is that that would really be a comfort to you, that you have not been forgotten and that you are not an afterthought. And to the extent that you struggle with those ideas, allow the majesty of the world in which we live to serve as a signpost, a pointer to the ever faithful watch care of the loving creator, God.
My hope is that you'll spend time today and over the course of this week considering how nature and the heavens declare God's personal care for you. Would you take time today and over the course of this coming week to seek out those things that stir your affections for God and the things that awake a wonder in your soul so that you might say with David, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that in a vast universe, you remembered us that you created humanity and gave us a position of honor. Remind us of the truth of what Augustine once said, that you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Lord, in the divine revelation of your word and through the declaration of your universe, may the response of our lives be reliance on you because you were mindful of us, your humble creation. And in this week, would you bring to mind the words of this psalm and lead us into remembrance and worship of you. And we'll be sure to give you the glory for who you are and what you do. And it's in the precious name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Blessings to you all this week.